I, I would actually like to start with uh, just a reading of the scripture from Luke 1. Uh, this is the song that Mary sang after she found out she was going to give birth to the Son of God, to Jesus. So in Luke 1, starting in 46, we'll start here, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get started. So Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to all who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. But he has brought, excuse me, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then in verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Well, let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for Mary and her example of uh, faith in you, Lord, as she treasured who you were. We thank you that you used this young teenage woman to do wonderful things for your name. And may we today be touched by her example of faith and want to live a life like her. Amen. Before we kind of get started in the sermon, I'd like to just give you a quick update on our family. We've been here now for four weeks. This is my fourth Sunday preaching. We've been going through the characters, uh, several characters in the Bible, Gideon, and then last week was Hannah, and today was Mary. And I should have mentioned it would be Mary, the mother of Jesus, because there's several Marys in the New Testament. And um, quite honestly, they can be a little confusing at times if you're reading the scripture, knowing, okay, which Mary is this talking about? Um, so it requires a little bit of study in that. But um, I've had several people say, well, I've actually never studied about Gideon or Hannah or Mary. And so just wanted to, again, kind of whet your appetite, but give you a desire to study the biblical characters. And uh, you might think, well, is that something we should do on a Sunday morning? Shouldn't we just learn theology or what we're supposed to do today in the faith? Well, in Hebrews, it looks, you see in Hebrews 11, there's the story, the, the, here, the, the hall of faith. And then right after that, it says, let's look to those great cloud of witnesses who have been an example before us and forget and be able to, for, um, excuse me, it says in uh, chapter 12, verse 2, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. So looking to these people helps us remember that we need to uh, live godly lives and fix our hearts and eyes on Jesus. Um, after today, our family will still be here next month, and we'll be looking at the book of Titus. So we'll be taking a break from any sort of biblical characters and hopefully being able to enjoy the, the riches that are there in that book. Um, so depending on your idea or your previous faith background, you might have different thoughts about Mary. Um, there's different views out there. Um, I've been to several Catholic churches in the past where you'll see a statue of her. Um, you'll see people talk about her and even pray to her. And so um, is this the kind of view that the Bible has? And I would say no, and we're going to go there a little bit today. 
in understanding who this woman was. And at the time of Jesus, we know that women were less valued than men, but the Bible always lifts women up to equal status, and actually sometimes their, their faith in God was much better than uh, the men's faith, faith involved that we see in the scriptures. And so we want to give honor to these women that we see throughout the scriptures. In the story of Mary, there's three things that I pulled away as I've been studying this week. One is that Mary has a deep faith in God. The second is that she treasures Jesus, not just as a son, a mother, and a son would, but that she really treasured him as her Lord. And then the last that we'll look at today is that she was not only treasuring him, but she was dedicated to following him as a follower, as a disciple, and that meant serving on his mission with the church involved. And we'll see several of these examples so the first, before we get to Mary in the Bible, the last kind of story um, in between the Testaments was uh, Malachi. Malachi was the last prophet, and he was the one who lived about 400 years before Mary. And one of his prophecies was that Elijah would come to you. And Elijah came, and John the Baptist, that was the forerunner before Jesus. And we see even that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, was, um, was impregnated also in a miraculous story, too. And then Jesus was also through Mary. And we see that God was really working in the situation greatly. But the Romans were now in charge of this whole area in the Mediterranean. And the Jews then must have been wondering, is this Messiah actually going to come, the one that will save us, the one that will rescue us? The Romans are persecuting us, are challenging us. They have false idols. Is this actually going to happen? And Paul says in Galatians 4 that just at the perfect time, when the time was fully set forth, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, and that's to Mary. And so we see in the first story in Luke 1, 26 to 38, this, we, we first encounter Mary in the Bible, and we see this profound faith that she has. When we see her at first in the Bible, we see that she's married, pledged to be married to Joseph, and that would have been a, a, a more important, a more uh, serious way of kind of pledging than these days. Um, there would have been dowries given, and then if that betrothal was broken off, it would be a terrible thing for the families, a lot of shame. Young girls were just probably about 12 to 14 years old when they got engaged or betrothed to get married. And we might think, okay, I think that's pretty young, but I was Googling, well, what's the life expectancy of people back when Jesus was alive? And it was about 35 to 40 years. So if you're only living 35 years, I'm 35 now, that means my life expectancy would be probably almost over, then it kind of makes sense that you would want to speed things up a little. Um, the biological clock is kind of your key factor in moving forward for these young families at the time. And so nonetheless, Mary is a young woman. We don't know a lot about her family background other than she's from Nazareth, which is just a small town of 500 to maybe 1,000 people at the time. Even Nathaniel kind of said in John 1, 46, does anything good come from Nazareth? I don't know if there's a town out here in Long Island, but you said, does anything good come from there? Like, it doesn't have a good reputation. I don't know. There, there must be an example that you're that you're laughing at. But anyways, the angel Gabriel, who was regularly in the presence of God, 
that God of the universe sent this angel to this young virgin girl comes to her and says something that is astounding, that he says, you, Mary, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary rightly is troubled by that. To be favored by God was to to tell basically her that, Mary, God's grace is upon you. And that's something that we as believers today can still have. And this angel says, look, you are going to have a baby. The Holy Spirit is going to help you conceive. And that baby will be the son of God. And he would fulfill the messianic prophecy. He'd be the ruler over all of Israel forever. And his kingdom would never end. And name him what was the name to be given was Jesus. And the name of Jesus has a, a significant meaning. It's not just a cute name. It means to deliver or rescue. Now, if you're Mary, how will you be feeling at this point? Not just that you're going to have a baby, but you're going to have the Messiah, the person that your people has been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now, if you told that to the average teenage girl today, what do you think her response would be or something like this? It would be shuddering probably in fear and wondering, how is it that I could do that? And what was Mary's response? Well, we see she didn't um, uh, run away like Gideon or uh, say to God, oh, could you, you know, let's try that fleece thing. I heard Gideon did it a few thousand years ago. No, she, she says very simply to him that, in verse 38, if that's what you say, then let it be so. I am the Lord's servant. And this was a huge risk to accept this assignment, right? If, if people found out that she was pregnant outside of wedlock, what was the potential punishment for her? It was death. It was because of the commitment of uh, that she would have committed adultery. And we see that Joseph was a good man. He didn't divorce her, um, even though he legally could have. And God would use this kind of simple faith that Mary had to continue to do profound things through her. Um, just a little story on faith. Uh, the other day, um, I was dropping my dad off in the city, and it has started to snow a little bit here. And my wife from California and my kids, born in, uh, mainly in South Asia in a hot human climate, were wanting to see the white things falling from the sky. So they went outside and... Um, the door had shut behind my wife, and it was locked, and she didn't have the keys on her. And so she's a little bit worried, uh, but figuring, okay, I'll figure out how to get in. And she ended up calling David, but he was out late the night before because picking Stephanie up from the airport. And Amber is getting a little bit more anxious. It's cold. How am I going to get in the house? Michael is an hour away. Can't help me. And my kids uh, said to her, well, Mom, let's, let's just pray. Like, let's just give this to God, and he'll, he'll help us. And they prayed. Soon after that, David called, and we were able to get the spare key, and, and everyone got inside, and they were warm and, and snugly afterwards. But that's the kind of simple, profound faith that God wants us to have with him also. And I think we see that in this story with Mary, that God says, you are going to have a kid, and you're still a virgin, and that kid is not just going to be any kid, but the, wor the Lord, the Messiah of everyone, the Savior. And Mary just says, okay, if that's what you say, I, I guess it's true. And so she breaks out in that song that I read 
today, or just a few minutes ago, the Magnificat is called, just like the song of Hannah that we read last week. And in this song, you probably could have seen that basically Mary says, you're the God who's with people that are low, that are humble, that are, that are willing to be used by you, that you are the Savior, she, she says in verse 55, the mighty one, you're merciful to Israel, you're mindful of us and the promises that you made to Abraham. See, for Mary, this wasn't such a strange thing that God could do this because she knew God's character, that he was one that could do amazing, profound things, even through a young teenage girl. And her theology, to me, from this, seems to be pretty good. She's got a good grasp on who God was, even though she was young. She must, I hope, she had good parents that taught her these things. I don't know, or if it was going through the synagogue at the time. But either way, this is definitely a good example for us parents to be teaching our children from a young age the goodness about God, because Mary certainly was a young girl who got that. It wasn't too difficult for her to imagine that God could do these things. And I hope that in our lives, too, our faith never gets stale or lukewarm or we forget that God can do the miraculous and, the, and amazing things. And it was this first point that I want to make, that she had this profound faith. And I think that's why God specifically chose her for this profound assignment. The second thing that I see from Mary in her example in the scripture is that she treasured Jesus. And she did this, I think, not just as a mom would treasure their child, but actually someone who is in awe of who this little baby is and would grow up to be. So there's a few stories where it actually says that she treasured these things about him. The first one is in Luke 2, with the uh, right after the birth that um, she has in, in uh, Bethlehem. So in, in, in this time, Mary and Joseph now had made this long journey to go to Bethlehem to be uh, counted in the census. They had gone over 80 miles together, and you know the story probably from just a few weeks ago, re, uh, hearing it at Christmas time, but they couldn't find a place to give birth, and they had to give birth, and most likely this guest inn where animals were there, were there and it was, would have been unclean. Right after the birth story, there's an angel that appears to the shepherds nearby to tell them that a Savior was born. And the shepherds were not these respectable people who had a high status in those days, but nonetheless, God chose them to declare this to. And in verse uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 8, we see, excuse me, verse 10, we see the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, and this will be a sign to you. You will find him wrapped in cloths and a lying in a manger. And then there was more angels who came. In verse 14, they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. And they, these men then went in search of that child and they got there, and they started telling people, and Mary and Joseph would have heard. They started telling, hey, we were just in a field, and we're, we're told these things, that the Savior of the world is born. And they come there and knock on the, the, maybe the door of the guest inn in search of this baby, and Mary and Joseph hear that. And I don't know for any of your moms or dads when you were in the 
the post-delivery room, did you have any shepherds come to you knocking on your door saying, uh, is this where the Savior of the Lord is born? Well, no, you, pro- you obviously didn't have that happen to you. But think about what that would have done to Mary and Joseph. And it says in verse 18 that all who heard about that story, that prophecy, that angelic uh, pronouncement, were amazed. And in 19, Mary treasured these things in her heart and pondered them also. And that idea of treasuring was to keep this this information, this idea about Jesus, safe, to preserve it. I can only imagine that Mary's thought, what her thoughts were as this kind of marinated in her mind here. Who is this kid that I have in my house? Who is this young baby? What is he going to grow up to be? What am I supposed to do with Jesus as a child in my house? Eight days later, she goes to dedicate him at the temple, according to the Jewish law. And in verse 25 of the same chapter, we see that there was a devout man named Simeon who was told by the Holy Spirit that he, before he died, he would see the consolation of Israel, the Messiah. And it's just so cool that God was walking, you know, God was using this man, Simeon. He's literally going to the temple at the same time Mary and Joseph are going to the temple And he sees the child, and he takes him in his arms. And in verse, I think it's 29, yeah, 29, he says that, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people Israel. And Mary and Joseph are hearing these things, these things that say uh, Jesus is the salvation, that he is a revelation to the Gentiles, that he is the glory of the people Israel. And they must have just been like, oh, man, what do we do? What are this? Who is this child that you've given to us? And it says that both parents marveled at what was said. It, this idea of treasuring him, of marveling at who this son was. But there's also some negative news that Simeon gives to Mary specifically, and it must have kind of put a a pause in her uh, excitement. It says in verse 34 and 35 that this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the hearts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul also. Now, everything up to this point was positive about Jesus, and then she finds out that she would one day go through this soul-piercing experience. And we'll look at this just a little bit later on, but she would one day be at the foot of the cross when Jesus was dying, and I can't help but think that she remembered these specific words that Jesus, that was spoken to her by Simeon that a soul that her soul would be crushed and um, again I don't know what your background is but in Catholicism we see the the uh, stations of the cross and this is the fourth one in particular that Mary encounters Jesus it's worth just reading a little bit more on to understand about what um, people have viewed this particular scene on the last one. Um, 
we see where Mary would treasure Jesus's words was still at the temple or treasure who Jesus was was still at the temple and they run into an older woman named Anna and she was a woman that was quite old at least she was in her 80s it can be a confusing passage to read on how old she exactly was but she also took the baby Jesus and looked at others around and she was saying all these wonderful things to people who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And Mary and Joseph would hear these things. They would go home and their son was raised and he was filling with wisdom and the grace of God. So just in an eight-day period, they had heard about shepherds praising who Jesus would be and then Simeon and Anna, that he would be the Savior, the Messiah, the light of the nations. And Mary doesn't seem to take this lightly. She seems to treasure who Jesus was. The last story about this particular point of treasuring Jesus was in the next story in your Bible, Luke 2, um, when Jesus is presented at the temple, or when Jesus goes to the temple again with his parents. And Jesus now was not eight days old. He's now 12 years old. It fast forwards 12 whole years, and his family goes to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Jesus is just one year shy from being an adult in, um, in the Israelite culture. He would have been 12. He did not have his bat mitzvah yet. But the Passover is done. They go back home and in a caravan with lots of kids running around. You can just imagine it'd be easy to lose track of your child, especially among people you trusted and knew. And on the third day, Mary and Joseph finally figure out, um, where's, our, where's our son? Where's, where's Jesus? And they can't find him. They go back, I can imagine, frantically back to Jerusalem. And they get to Jerusalem, and Jesus is meeting with not just little children, but he's meeting with the, the teachers in the temple courts. It'd be like, maybe like you trying to find your kids, and then uh, there's your little son meeting with the elders and discussing all these deep, important theological truths. And the elders are just like, yeah, wow, this guy, he, he really understands his, his theology. And Mary is confused when she sees Jesus, and I could imagine a bit frustrated. And she says, Jesus, why did you treat us like this? We have been searching for you anxiously for three days. Where have you been? And I think Jesus responds in a kind but an innocent way and in saying, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And the text says that Mary and Jesus didn't quite understand this response, and I could understand why they didn't understand. Um, but nonetheless, they would go home as a family, and it says in 51 that Mary treasured these things in her heart also. And when the Bible repeats things like this, and it's repeated at least three times that she treasured them, he, they marveled at these words and then treasured again. We know that these are important things to pay attention to. When the Bible repeats itself, we should say, okay, what is it trying to teach me here? And I can only imagine what was that like for Mary raising Jesus with his other siblings. And I have two children. My two children get in arguments uh, multiple times a day. And I can only imagine how unfair those arguments would have been in Jesus's house because you have this child who's literally perfect and the other children who are sinners and how challenging that would have been for the other kids at least. But Mary, we see that she was constantly treasuring her son. I, and I think not just as a son, but I think as a spiritual being that Jesus was growing up in her house and she's wondering, what will this Messiah look like? And she had the unique privilege of watching him grow tucking him into bed 
at night, feeding him at the table day in and day out. The last point that I see from Mary is that she desired, after she treasured him, I think she did truly come to follow him as her Lord and Savior, and that she desired, she committed her life to his mission, and she didn't shy away when the going got tough. And we see this in a few different examples here. The first one is actually in John 2, when Jesus performs the first miracle of turning water into wine. And you can uh, flip in your Bibles there to John 2. Uh, Jesus had just called the 12 disciples, and Mary is at a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus also comes there. And Mary notices that the wine had run out. And, okay, you might think, well, fine, wine runs out. Let the people have water. Let the people have another beverage. Well, if the wine ran out, that could have been really damaging to the couple and really ruined their reputation. Hey, they didn't have enough food for the guests. You know, the guests might go home saying, oh, that was a nice wedding, but, man, I didn't really get what I thought I would get out of that. And she says to Jesus, hey, they have no wine or basically Jesus, I know you can do something here. Please fix it. Please make it better. She must have had some sort of an idea already by this point that her son could do the miraculous. Um, We don't know how she could have come to that reason, but she knew that Jesus could help. And so Jesus says that, well, in verse 4, my hour has not yet come. Now, depending on the English translation you have, Um, this might not be the most helpful idea to catch what is going on. Jesus could be basically saying here that, look, when my hour comes, that is the path to the cross. And Mary is basically saying, or he's basically saying to Mary, if you want that to happen, then it starts now. If I'm to go to the cross, if my ministry is to start and be inaugurated, then then, then I will start showing these miracles that this will, my, my fame would become more known. And Mary, who initiates Jesus' physical birth in this life, now is being used to initiate his physical death and his going to the cross. And she doesn't seem to know, take a no for an answer. She keeps saying, well, to the, the people who are there, to the servants, she says, just do whatever he tells you. So you kind of get this like mother-son uh, little dynamic here. Mother, Mary has this faith in Jesus. He can do whatever, even if it seems like Jesus might not want to. She says, just do what he says. I know what he can do, and he can assist. And he turns that water into wine, and his ministry starts. His path to the cross starts. Mary understands that Jesus can do these profound things and wants others to also know who Jesus is. She doesn't seem to be saying, hey, look at what my son can do. Jesus, take the bunny out of the hat like you do back home. No, she's not like that. She's kind and compassionate and wanting people to understand who Jesus actually is. There's not really any other dialogue in the the Gospels between Jesus and his mother other than a short instance when his mother's uh, following him and the crowd says, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are here. And he says to them, whoever is my follower is really my family. Other than that, we don't see Mary until the end of Jesus's life in John 19. And at this point, Jesus is, um, is on the cross 
and Mary and several other women are there. And remember, when Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled. They deserted him. Peter would then go on that night to deny Jesus three times, and John would follow from a distance to watch the trial of Jesus unfold, and then he would come close when Jesus was on the cross. And Jesus was with this group of women who followed him in his ministry. Uh, this is the, the list of Marys here in John 19, 25. His mother was there, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And Jesus' mother is watching her son die. She's watching the extreme pain that he's going through. And she, sa- she must have then remembered those words I mentioned earlier that Simeon said, that a sword would pierce your own soul. And she's coming to grasp with this was the cost of having Jesus, of following him. Sticking it out there would have been a sign of solidarity, not, that, not just that he's my son, but he's my savior. She's saying, I love this man, and I believe in his message also. And then in a beautiful moment, you've probably read, he, Jesus looks down at his mother and, and asks John to take care of her. And for the rest of uh, Mary's life, we presume that John was the one who watched after her. And I could imagine Mary in her greatest moment of distress, just looking and thinking, my son cares for me. He, not just as my son, but as my savior. He's helping meet my all my needs and watching after me. And I know that some of you have had the incredible pain of losing your own son to death in this room. And I know I can't even imagine that pain. But what I would say to you is look at this example that Mary had in losing her son. And at that moment, her pain was greatest. But we never we see in Scripture that she stayed with God. She stayed with his people and didn't lose hope. And I know I believe firmly that God rewarded her for that and showed her kindness through the community, through the church, and then in eternal life because she stayed with God and his people. Now, what would happen to Mary after that? We just see one or two verses in the book of Acts that show what happened to Mary, and then she disappears from Scripture. We don't see anything else. The last part is in Acts 1, 12, and 14. We see that Jesus had risen from the grave. He showed himself to more than 500 people. And we don't know exactly, was Mary one of those people? Um, we, we see that there was a Mary. Um, there's different thoughts on who that Mary was. But either way, we see that there, after Jesus ascended to heaven, that there was 12 disciples in Acts 1.14, we see this. And she was the only woman that's named that was a part of the 12 disciples that were committing themselves to prayer. And Jesus's brothers had also come to faith at this point. But for Mary, it was really risky business to be there. Uh, the, the person they were following had just died, had just been murdered. And for all of those people in that room at that point, it was a serious commitment to Jesus to be there. It would have looked pretty bleak for you to be in that group, in that crowd. I'm sure Mary was obviously excited that her other sons came to faith, but she could have just stepped back. She could have just hidden herself from the spotlight. But instead, she remained faithful. She was with the early church, even though that would have been intense persecution, and we see that later on. 
But Mary believed not just that Jesus could save her sins from eternity, but that he could protect her now. And she wanted others to follow that message also. So just as we conclude our time together, there's, it's, it's very interesting to think about Mary because some groups in the broader stream of Christianity have done things with her that the Bible doesn't claim at all is what Mary can do or will do for us. The immaculate conception that she was, once she conceived Jesus within her body, then she was made sinless. We don't see that anywhere in the scriptures or that she was taken by Jesus later on into heaven in what's called the assumption that, again, nowhere is reported that she does that in the scripture. But everything about Mary points us to Jesus, and that's exactly what we are to do also. She had God's favor upon her, and she had profound faith that God could do something amazing through her, even though she was just a young girl who wasn't even married. She also treasured her son. She treasured Jesus and the things spoken about him. She would have meditated on these things about him. And just like Paul says, I think Mary would agree, was that Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, that I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. I think Mary also got to that point where she understood that Jesus, knowing him, was worth more than anything else. And last Mary didn't hide her faith. She lived it out boldly in the local church. She was a part of a group of people that were committed to Jesus, knowing him and spreading his message. So just as you think about the example of Mary, these three things, I'd like for you to just think, is there one of these areas that you are weak in that you would like to grow in? And we'll just commit that to silent prayer. But those things, just to remind you, are profound faith. She had a profound faith that God could do the miraculous in and through her. She trusted God even when things looked bleak. The second was that she treasured Jesus. She spent time with him. She wanted to know who he was and meditate on him. And then the last was that she was dedicated to living out this mission She wanted other people to know who Jesus was. She committed her time to praying with the body, to serving alongside them in the early church. So I would like for you to just think about these three things, the profound faith she had. She treasured Jesus, and she was dedicated to his mission. And just let's pause, and then I'll close our time in prayer. And I'll let you just, the Spirit, work through these words, maybe to open your eyes, ways that you can grow in one of those three categories and then and then I'll close our time in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you work in and through us and you show your magnificent beauty um, and you desire to bring the Savior of the world. You brought um, Jesus through this young girl, Lord, and we have no doubt that you can do amazing things for your glory through us. Lord, I ask that um, for, for these things that we learned from Mary today, that profound faith she had, Lord, we want to be people who are incredibly faithful, but oftentimes to get to that point, we need to have been um, shown that we are vulnerable, we are weak people, and that you are the only one worth trusting in. And so help us to trust and really seek to the, be the kind of people who um, are, are so um, able to say that you can do things, you, can, you are a good father. Help us also to treasure who Jesus is, to spend time in the word and in prayer and communion with others here, Lord, to really set our minds on him because there's nothing else in this world that can give us anything remotely close to what Jesus can give um, and the eternal life and the peace and the love for one another that he gives through the Holy Spirit. And last, Lord, just help us to be people who are dedicated to serving you and your mission, Lord, much more than we are to serving ourselves or serving others. Lord, we want to honor you with our lives. Help us to do that through good deeds, caring for others, and also sharing the gospel with people. We thank you for these examples of the people in the faith that have walked before us and help us, as Hebrews says, to set aside all the sins that entangle us and look to you, look to Jesus who gives us faith, who's the author of our faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.